all the work was done. Like, I, like I'm not still making the next issue. You don't have to wait like six months for me to finish the next con. Like I finished everything before I launched the product, which you kind of talked about. Like to me, that's just how things are done. You make a product and then you sell the product. But I feel like a lot of stuff in Web3 is reverse, where it's just like, here's some art. Maybe I'll make a product if you give me money. And I feel like that's not the best recipe or, or set up for success long term if, if the team isn't equipped to like spend those 10 years to develop this into something. You are listening to One More Question, a podcast by the people of Nice Work. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we ask you one more question? This podcast is all about sharing the best conversations we have had with significant builders, experts, and communicators. The people we encounter and work with as we go about helping you build brands people care about. Season four is based on our exploration of Web3, NFTs, and all things Metaverse. We're seeing an explosion of creativity and brands popping up all over this new space. Yet the rules seem to be different and experimentation is not only expected, but welcome. Follow our conversations with the designers, the builders, and the visionaries shaping Web3 and the metaverse. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Today on the podcast, I talk to world builder, character creator, and storyteller, Ben Morrow. His work has made a powerful impact on the gaming world. As senior concept designer and art director for first-person shooting dynasties Halo and Call of Duty, He's been crafting characters, weaponry, machinery, and gamescapes that have made these franchises household names for over two decades. His visions have graced the big screen in films like Elysium, Chappie, and J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. And he now unveils his fully-fledged graphic novel series, Huxley. We talk about his overnight success that he built in over a decade how his drive to craft a singular vision and be involved in every detail has helped him to stand out and find people who care as much as he does. And how the shift in ownership that Web3 unlocked has given him the ability to build his full vision for the Huxley universe without losing out on his IP or his rights. He even gives us a little sneak peek about what's next. Enjoy. Welcome, Ben. Uh, I'm so glad that you came on the podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I mean, I'm interested that this conversation is happening because I sent you an email, which is a very strange concept in the the Web3 space. But um, when we were doing our pre-call, one of the things you you shared with me that I found amazing is that um, you've been working on on the Huxley saga for a decade, um, and this isn't just a NFT project that's popped out of the blue based on a trend that was happening. Can you talk a little bit about the Huxley saga and where it came from, and how you ended up dedicating ten years of your your creativity and life to it? Sure. Yeah. I mean. This kind of all started what working in the film industry and game industry and the desire to create my own things because I, you know, most of our careers was working on other people's stuff all day. And there's a ton of things to learn and grow and and it's a super valuable experience to have. But at the end of the day, I just felt like I needed to do something for myself and have something for myself. Um, because most of our careers ends up being, you know, we're building these houses or castles for other people. But 
I just felt the need to, to build my own over time, even though, you know, I wouldn't be making any money and it's just more like a desire and passion to do these things. And, uh, so a lot of it came from this kind of idea and also from kind of trends in art production over the years. Like when I started, I was just drawing with pencil and painting and Photoshop and quickly, once you get into the, the film industry, it's like an arms race of techniques. And the first few were just, you know, everything needs to look photo real, which means photo bashing and cutting, cutting images on Google and smashing them together. And, uh, then it was ZBrush to make these highly photo real sculptures and things of our ideas. And, um, the ZBrush side still felt very creative, but the photo bashing side to me just was not super fulfilling. And I just needed something that made me feel like an artist. So to me, that was again, like drawing with pencils and coloring things that I felt like was hundred percent me, like every line and shape was mine came out of my brain and just felt like it had a strong character and personality. And so a lot of the early designs from as far back as even 2008 had the style and everything, but I just didn't know what it was going to be. And wasn't probably until 2013 or 14 when I drew the, the robot character Huxley and, um, where I was just like, I, th there's something here. I want to do something with this. Um, and kind of started figuring out, uh, the product, which ended up being a graphic novel and starting on figuring out a story and finding that out and, and figuring out a way to complete pages while I was working on other things over the years. And, um, yeah, you know, seems like a simple idea. Like I'm going to make a graphic novel. It's going to be so easy. And then 10 years later, you finally, <laughs> so easy. <laughs> The easy tenure, tenure, the easy tenure run. Yourself. Um, yeah, I, I love you know, when when we were talking, you said that you, you drew this robot and he was just begging to be called Huxley. Can you, I mean, was what did you see in that robot that that made you feel like it was worth pursuing even further? Yeah, some I, I don't know, there's like a I don't know, some people call it like the flow state or whatever you want to call it when you're in a highly creative zone. And I, I've had this happen on movies and things and games as well, where you're just like, you create something, you're just like, it feels complete. It just feels mm. like, like, I guess that that's like where I'm always like hunting for, like you create something and it's just done. Like that is the character. That is the, he is alive kind of thing. And, and I've had that on movies where like I did something like, man, that's really cool. They're probably never going to select this, but if they're smart, they probably will. Cause this <laughs> is like, I don't know, just something clicks and you're like, that's so great. And a lot of the times you'll find like directors and projects where they can see that. And I've had instances where it's like one-to-one -one on screen. You're like, it's like awesome. And, and the audience responds hugely to that. I'm like, I knew it. I knew something was working there. And it's just kind of like trusting your creative kind of a, uh, conscience i guess and and then you just have that happen in your own work too where you're just like something clicks and you're just like all these things come together and you're like that's so unique and cool like i want to do something with that someday or it's like it's like a meant it's also for like in a smaller way it's like is this good enough to post and share with my friends in our community right there's mm. like a filter right so like sometimes when you do something even if it was faster but you're just like it's not good enough 
to get through the door of my filter to share with the community. Like, um, and there's just kind of this mental creative door that it has to be good enough to pass through, I guess. The level that you hold yourself to. I think that comes back yeah. to what you were talking about earlier is that this was, you started something that was yours, that you wanted to to be the controller of, because I think so much in sort of traditional media, there's other people that have to be involved in approving or assigning or spending budgets. And I think that's one of the things that's so exciting about Web3 and what the technology enables is it it allows people to just directly connect with an audience. They don't need layers of other complexity in between. And I think that's is is unique and amazing and i don't think it'll always be like this i think as the space fills up it's going to be more difficult to do that but i think at least in its at its essence it allows that sort of thing to 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 grow and to happen quite quickly yeah and i think that was also a reason to do it this way like like i had some people ask like why didn't you just make a movie to start with you know and i was like well the logic is, you know, that would be amazing, of course, but that usually takes millions of dollars and, you know, 30 to sometimes thousands of people. And, you know, that's a huge endeavor. And a graphic novel and things like this are still one of the few ways a single creator can create the entire product, which is which is very difficult to do. I mean, obviously, most people will have like a writer partner and all these other like colorist and penciler and like 20 people to make the comic. But you can still do it yourself. It, you know, it can take 10 years, but you can still do it yourself as a graphic novel to have like that single creator. And that was always important to me of just, I want to 100% create this myself and feel like it's a pure expression of my, my brain on paper. Um, and, you know, as things change and, and get adapted and things, it will, that, there will be compromises and things. But I just wanted that to check that box of like, here is the pure expression of this idea I have um, and that I can own it 100% because, yeah, once you get involved in bigger stuff, it, it gets very complicated. And um, that's also what kind of what really excited me about all the Web3 and NFT stuff that was happening was I was getting to the end of finishing the graphic novel and I wanted to turn it into a film and other things. So I anticipated the meetings I would have where, you know, you go to a meeting and they're just like, cool art kid, but what does this look like as a movie? And mm -hmm. so I wanted to eliminate that doubt in the room. And, you know, I spent a year before, I was guessing I'd be finished with the graphic novel around a certain day. So a year before that, I adapted it into a cinematic trailer with uh, my friend and director, Sava Zakovich and a really small team. And we, you know, released that few months ago uh it's some kind of gone viral and done really well and um but i was into i just kind of want to hit both of these fronts and the original plan was just to like oh go to like dark horse or some big publisher and those are kind of the only avenues available to us at the time to like get our idea and and book out there and once nfts and web3 happened it was just like well maybe this is a more interesting way to launch a product in 2021 and more current and interesting and um, just kind of went for it. And, and a bigger part of that too, was I could still retain all my rights and, and everything. Whereas had I gone to like a big company, they would try to take as much of that as possible. And 
maybe I wouldn't be able to do all the things I want to do um, with my project and, and IP in the future. I mean, I love this. There's so much in there. You've you've got this single expression of yours, which is, I think, what the brand embodies is this Huxley saga, and you've held this control over it for for a decade. But I think you've been very intentional intentional about how you have been building it. And I'm going to ask you about the journey just now. I assume it wasn't easy or straightforward or or linear in any way, but. You were like, I need the movie as a piece. And I think that's that's what I the first piece that I interacted with of the brand was that trailer. And I was like, the the production quality, you know, of this is so much higher than everything else I've seen. I think I would say only Yuga Labs has really kind of hit that same level of quality, but they've only done it a year later, backed by millions of dollars from successful projects. I think they, in the beginning, everything was quite held together loosely, but you've put so much intention into this brand and the feeling of it and the world and the character and all that stuff, and you've you've brought it together. Can you talk about your your process of of distilling this was it organic and i know you worked on it over a decade but how did you get to something that feels so singular and so clear when you look at it you know now on the outside well i think because i did everything by hand right so that that's always my my goal is like because you you work on things over the years right and you're just like man that really didn't work out or came out kind of generic looking and a lot of it was because corners were cut or they just like mashed some stuff together or Again, that, I think that was a big problem I had with photo bashing in my core. Maybe I didn't really realize what it was, but like it was eliminating the artistic voice of the artist because you're taking things that exist and just mashing them together, right? I don't feel the voice of the artist anymore when I was doing that. Like any, anyone could have done that, right? Like anyone could have taken these photos and got something and it looks identical to everyone else. So my my pursuit has always been like, what is your personal expression? What is your voice? And to me, that always happened when I would draw things on paper because you can't help it. It's like, it's coming directly from your brain into your hand. And so everything in Huxley was designed in this way where it's like, those shapes are from like my, my, my like visual, like whatever I am as a entity in this body, it's coming out of my hand on paper mm. and all those shapes and forms and patterns and colors are an expression of me. And I made sure every character was done in this way. So when it gets adapted and I made sure to be highly involved in like adapting all my drawings so that in the trailer, everything is handcrafted as well. So it's like, I'm trying to make sure that DNA transfers as much as possible as it gets adapted and so you could freeze frame anything in that trailer and it's like all i designed all that stuff like it all came mm. from this pure expression of a person's mind working with some very talented friends to to faithfully adapt all that stuff um and i think it stands out just because that doesn't really happen like people usually do not do that you know and so i feel like a lot of entertainment now it kind of blends together and i don't know I, the last 10 movies i've seen have all been something to do with the multiverse and it's like i kind of don't even know what the difference in the last 10 <laughs> movies i've watched are it's like everything's a multiverse now everything's of this and i'm like okay we've seen that like what 
where's the unique pure expression and new thing um I'm, I'm always chasing that so like like i guess there's been a few trainings of thoughts with like artists and friends over the years and the natural tendency is for us to like just sit around and basically be art critics like oh these movies aren't very good and no everyone's it's just like so for me I like to be more proactive. So instead of sitting around using that energy to like go online and talk about things I don't like, I'd rather analyze why I don't like it. And well, what's, what's the better solution? I'm going to make something that I think is cool that solves those problems or does the thing that I want to see. And I feel like that's a better use of all of our creative energy as, as artists. And especially if we have the experience to create those things, I think it's our duty to proactively create those things that we want to see instead of just sitting around all day talking about what we don't like. I'd rather mm. all of us create things that we do like and want to see. I like that. And I meant, you know, when I was asking you why you did this for 10 years, you said you were looking for a worthy use of your years. So now this is a very personal project um, and you've, you've, adapted it for web three you've taken your comic that you've created you've got this amazing trailer which makes for great kind of marketing how did you pull that into a, a kind of nft framework into a package that people could could look at as a brand and go well i'm gonna spend my ethereum on this you know and ultimately you've opened it up i think you did a thousand characters in the first the first sort of avatars drops. And so now there's a thousand people who own a piece, they're co-owners in, in Huxley with you, um, even though you kept all the rights, which I think we'll, we'll talk about in a second. Yeah, I think a lot of it was just like, because all the work was done. Like, I, like, I'm not still making the next issue. You don't have to wait like six months for me to finish the next, con like I finished everything before I launched the product, which you kind of talked about. Like, to me, that's that's the logical that's just how things are done. You make a product and then you sell the product. But I feel like a lot of stuff in Web3 is reverse, where it's just like, here's some art. Maybe I'll make a product if you give me money. And I feel like that's not the best recipe or, or setup for success long-term if, if the team isn't equipped to like spend those 10 years to develop this into something. Mm. So yeah, just, just I wanted to make sure I finished the product before I launched it. And um a lot of it was more of just like, how do I organize and chop this up in a way that isn't overwhelming to an audience? Because if I just release it all at once, it's just too much. It's like like 10 years of stuff, like all at once, it's just too, <laughs> too much. So it's like chopping a, an elephant, like in little pieces and like, here's piece number one, here's piece number two. There's a lot more stuff, like it's all done. Um, so a lot of it was just more like an organizational like problem to solve and uh, releasing it in, in interesting ways. And um, I think the Web3 component that is different from the Web2 component is some way to gamify the experience. Um, so you can't just like one-to-one -one sell a product like you would in Web2. You have to create some kind of interesting gamification and system in place and uh, kind of economics and tokenomics, if you will, um, to make it kind of a fun experience and allow people to like, kind of choose their own adventure in this collecting experience. So is this how, you know, you designed it, that you you bought the different editions of the comic and when you 
engage with them. You could destroy the comic or burn the comic in order to get access to one of the robots' avatars. Was this how you gamified it in in that way? Yeah. So so there's a few different ways. Like there's if you just want to like some people just want comics and that's cool. Some people want avatars, and I just want to make sure I'm offering these different paths for things that people are interested in. So yeah, a lot of it is just like, okay, well, let's make a deflationary mechanism that cuts down comics. So if people want avatars, it makes the comics more rare. And it kind of just creates this push and pull of depending on what people want, right? So I, even I don't know where this is all going to end up. Um, <laughs> so it's it's just going to be interesting to see, right? right? Maybe there's only going to be 1,000 comics left by the end. I don't know. Like, who knows? <laughs> um, but it's it's it makes it fun for me, too, because I really have no idea where it will end up by the by the end. So you've created this game and you're watching it play out in front of you and you're not sure what the, the end state is going to be. Yeah, and then there's physicals as well. So, like, maybe there's way more physicals than digital NFTs by the end. Maybe it's the reverse. Um, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's kind of a, it keeps it, Interesting, yeah. I enjoy that. I, I like that you have carried, uh, I think you mentioned it earlier, you carried the thread through. So when you made your avatars, each one was handmade. Each one was hand kind of rendered and thought about and designed, which also sort of doesn't move against the trend, but there's kind of the, the generative art, 5, 10, 15, 20,000 projects. And then there's the one of one, you know, kind of much small, small batch handmade. And you sort of combine those two. What, what, what made you want to create all of these characters? Um, <laughs> to do it by hand, that was, I probably didn't know what I was getting into, but I was just like, yeah, a thousand. Sure. That, that seems achievable. And like with the graphic novel, like, oh yeah, graphic novel, that seems easy. Like, but then you kind of get into it and you're like, wow, this is way more work, but I've committed to it. Let's just see it through. And um, so a lot of it was just more of like, maybe my na naivety of thinking it wouldn't be that much work, but it, it ended up being significant amount of work and a lot of extra gray hairs from that one. <laughs> um, but for humans, there will be more and we do have to have generative, like, tools to use and but i'm finding it's with what's available on the market now like you can get some very i'm impressed with the results and makes me kind of wish i might have used some of that for the robots as well but um to save some gray hair time <laughs> but it's yeah it's just been more of like learning new tools experimenting and trying to make the quality as nice as if it was handmade one-to-one -one, like i did um and i've been pretty impressed with what we've been able to achieve so far with the, the kind of generative tools that are out there. So, so you say we, does this mean you've expanded your, your team and are now sort of using the capital that the, the successful NFT launch has uh, generated to, to turn this into a, a bigger full-time thing? Of course. Yeah. Like I can't do everything myself. So like, like with the trailer, like I had to work with the team. I can't, I can't do a whole, I can't direct model texture, light, right? <laughs> like do matte paintings. Uh, so a lot of it is just like finding really talented people to help, help me do things. And a lot of it's just learning how to manage many, many teams and make sure everyone's on track and, and everything's going in the same direction. And 
Um, I'd love to be doing more art than I am now, but I think I think I'll get to a, a balancing point where it's like I still have time to do a lot of the art I want to do while also making sure all these bigger things are moving and in, in the right direction uh, cohesively. So, so how long did it take you? You you generated the first thousand. Like, how long did it take you to generate those characters based off of you know you building the comic, which took a decade? Well, it helped that we had the models all done right because we made the trailers. So, like, that probably would have taken a very long time had I not like I designed the character in the comic and we had models of the, basically the base at, at a very very high fidelity. So, like, a lot of Again, everything kind of builds on itself. So, like, had I not mm. had that, it would have taken significantly longer. So, for the robots, it was more like doing variations of something that I had already created, as opposed to like I need to do all this from scratch. Um, but yeah, I think it was like I don't know, three three months, four months, something like that. Oh wow! It was it was a chunk of time for sure um, to do everything by hand. But I think this yeah. also represents a little bit that that I'm finding in this space is that the timelines have just gotten insane. Everything is expected in such a fast turnaround time. If you look at the gap between Star Wars 1 and Star Wars 2, it was like a few years and everyone was happy with that. And now we look at Disney owns it and the turnaround time is one year. You know, they, they're kind of turning it around. And if Disney got into NFTs, the expectation would probably be every two months or every three months, we're expecting something as epic and as large. How do you think about sort of the quality and craft and, and intention you've built into the brand, you know, and, and balance that against the pace and speed that this world seems to want to to consume things at. Sure. I, I mean, it's always a problem, right? I mean, like even in the game industry, like Fortnite came out and set the pace of like, you need to do something every like five minutes, basically. Like there's <laughs> the pace they run at is, is amazing. But then there was other studios like Respawn or something with Apex Legends where they kind of push back on this. We're like, we're going to take our time. You won't get stuff as frequently, but the health of our team is paramount like we don't want everyone to like be die killing themselves and dying in two weeks or something and and you know i i don't really maybe maybe fortnite also kind of like pasted a bit but like i feel like i haven't heard people complaining because i remember initially people were complaining a lot about where's the new thing where's the new thing but i feel like it's kind of settled into a certain pace and gamers and everyone is pretty happy with you know, it's just like, oh, I'm just going to play and have fun with this game. And then, oh, the new season comes out. Cool. Great. Like, it feels like if you just set the rules and push back a bit if you have to, because ideally people want to be playing these games and, and in these universes, you know, forever and not two weeks because everyone kind of like burnt out the team from demanding too much, you know? So I think a lot of it is just finding a healthy balance and being open with it, your communities and and telling them like, well, I want this to be as high quality as possible. I just need time to make sure this looks great. And I'm not going to release something that isn't, that I don't feel is of the quality that it should be. And, um, and, and, and if it's the higher, the quality, the happier everyone will be. Um, I think robots took a long time and some people are getting frustrated 
but then when they came out, everyone was like, wow, wow, you really did a good job on that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So like, like the art speaks for itself in the end. And so I think I'm okay to like, maybe if there's some short term, like frustration, I think long term it, it's worth the wait because mm -hmm. the quality will just be there and you know, you can only, it'll be there forever. You know, like you, you want to make sure to do a good job. I mean, I enjoy that. It's almost like you are taking control and saying, well, we're going to set the pace. We're going to set. And if you like this project, you can follow along at that pace. And if you don't like it, you can find another project because there's many other projects that are going at a different speed than, than this one is. But I think you value quality and craft and the story over pace to to market seems more important yeah um, and if you, you and if you rush there's you know if you rush like mistakes happen right and i've seen you know there have been some like like extremely fatal mistakes some teams have made because they move too fast like whether that's mistakes in the smart contract mistakes in art or something and you know, it's better to to do things the right way and of a high quality, I feel, than rush something out the door and make a critical mistake that completely ruins everything, you know? Mm. I like that. I mean, um, there was a, a, a note I wrote down here that you were saying when you launched um, with Huxley, you had obviously been working for 10 years and you had something that existed, something tangible that was already there. So when people were buying it, you weren't, promising them something down the line you were like there's an actual thing um and you found that people were almost taken aback at that and almost the dream of something in the future was more alluring than the reality of uh, i've got a finished project for you all you have to do is buy this thing can you can you talk about how you know being in the opposite of the market was was both a good thing and a, a strange thing for you when you launched yeah, it felt like there was definitely like a, it's almost like an education moment of just like everyone was releasing, it was almost more like a Kickstarter, like here's a dream of something that might happen someday. And I was releasing something that was like, no, you can buy this now, you know, like someone would launch something and be like, buy this and we'll hire people to make a comic. Maybe it'll come out in two years. And I was launching something saying you can read the comic right now because i spent 10 years making all this stuff and it was just kind of like a whoa what are you talking about like what i don't understand and so there's like a weird like misconception just because everyone was treating it like a kickstarter and i was treating it more like sales distribution of a of something that i had created already mm. um and so it was just more of like an odd like yeah it was like the things these pr products are promising you in their roadmap in two years, you get day one now, you know? And so there was like a, yeah, it was just a, an odd, like, wait, I don't understand. What do you, what do you mean? <laughs> like, what do you mean? I can read it now. I don't understand. Um, yeah. I think you were almost in, in the opposite camp. You were like, I need to cut back because I can't give them everything because they'll, it'll overwhelm them and it'll wash them away. Now, yeah. So th that's been an interesting aspect too. Just like, figuring out the best way to like some kind of disconnect or like why, like communicating that in a way that makes sense. And, um, but it does seem to be an aspect of all this, like the unknown 
seems to be more valuable than the known for some reason. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, a, it's an inter- interesting part of all this. Uh, I mean, I think that's what's so exciting about it. Um, you, you know, I'm interested in Web3 because I see it as the biggest change in ownership that's happened in my lifetime. It's this shift from, you know, digital things being almost throwaway, valueless items that you can exponentially create to something going like, here is a thing, a real tangible thing. It happens to be digital and you can own it. And I think that's so powerful. Can you talk about the kind of rights and the IP and how you structured your project? Because you're obviously selling these things to people and you they are purchasing into the dream of Huxley and you're now using that money to build the the kind of brand and the product and the roadmap of it. How did you think about the your rights and the IP when you went into this and, and structure that? Yeah, so all the rights are on chain uh, or the, the contract and everything's on chain, um, but it's basically limited merchandising rights for, for holders to create like t-shirts and and things like this that they want to do and but the core ip needs to be owned by the company because it's just it's something that already exists and it's like i I kind of view like star wars or something where like if i owned the mandalorian if i owned limited merchandising rights on the mandalorian armor and then the mandalorian came out that's that's pretty amazing um (laughs) you know that's that would be pretty pretty damn cool um Mm. But I just can't allow someone to own the Mandalorian because I already designed it, right? Um, so it's kind of along along this this kind of thinking, I guess. But I think it's uh, what's exciting for me about this, and and I think the lesson here for brands and companies is there's an opportunity to include people, you know, and make them co-owners in a thing, and therefore you've got fans for life because they've bought in and they're super excited about it. But you can still keep the the pieces that are important to you and that might be different depending on the project so you you know that you've got a comic and maybe there's another comic coming and there's a movie and there's a whole bunch of other things so you know i need control over this piece so that i can roll out my vision and i'm happy for other people to you know you know huxley is now in theory competing against any other sort of sci-fi fantasy genre out there so how do you become bigger than i don't know uh, you know 2000 ad how do you kind of get more popular you get people out there singing your praises making products uh, being excited about it is how the hype of it sort of grows so it becomes a a a win-win for the the fans and the creator like yourself yeah and, and also just supporting it um, you know, it's like, it's like a child or like a, a plant or a seed or something like you have to nurture, I don't know, we're going to get into like gardening or something, but like if you're grown plants or something, like if you neglect it and like, don't take care of it, it just dies. You know, you have to like water it and nurture it and make sure it gets enough sun and continually help this thing grow into the tree that it can become, you know? And you know, now that you've you've had the initial success, has it opened up your thinking about what the potential of Huxley is? Can you talk a bit about where you see this brand going and how you 
expect to grow it and are you going to stay on the blockchain or are you going to move into more traditional spaces because i know when you're talking earlier you're talking about going to people like dark horse or dc and getting them to sort of turn it into a big franchise what are your your plans with with huxley well yeah like long term obviously i'd want everyone in the world to be able to read it so like we will have to figure out some logical way to do a broader distribution of comics and stories so that everyone can read and buy this book. Um, but I think right now we're doing the physicals and stuff. We're trying to make this like a special collector edition kind of thing for the, the early supporters. And, um, but there will have to be some kind of like mass produced um, thing that anyone can read, get in a bookstore, that kind of thing. Um, so it's figuring out the best way to do that. And yeah, the same, same plan that I had before. Like I want this to be movies, games, uh, novels, uh, basically every content category um, possible to push it out there in, in the biggest way. And with all the NFT stuff, I think it just allowed me to accelerate those plans. Like I thought maybe I'd be here in 10 years. So it's just accelerated things in a, in a big way that mm. allow me to do things that I dreamed about down the line, like now. Um, so that's, that's been really exciting. I think that's been the biggest thing. It's just, it allows me to do things that I was, would probably have to wait a lot longer to do. And I guess you, you, you're probably getting interesting feedback as to what's popular and what isn't because you're releasing it in pieces and you're pulling out these characters. Um, are you seeing different things that people like? You know, is that sort of, is that feedback loop started? Sure. Like even, yeah, you'll, you'll see like, wow, people really like this particular specific um like robot variant over that one like oh why don't they like this one why you know it's like okay maybe we don't do things like this for this kind of thing or maybe do more things like that and, um so yeah for sure you see like oh wow they really like this one villain character that's cool um and just like yeah you, you and you it's, it's almost like testing a little bit like okay that i think that was a good call to make it look like that or or this and yeah Right. I mean, uh, uh, the story I always think about is, you know, The Simpsons was originally around Bart, was the the sort of hero. And people resonated so much with Homer that he has almost grown to to dominate the series more than, than Bart. And I think that's just clever creators listening to what people were resonating with and designing. And I think this the way these projects or the way you've structured your project is if you're getting into a film, you've already got information around what people are likely to, to resonate with and you can use your creativity around that, which is quite exciting. And I think before web three, that was the domain of the kind of big, you know, your Marvels and your DCs were the only ones who had the kind of market reach and to understand that. And now it's, sort of in the hands of of you know one person and now the team that he's growing which is is very exciting for me as a creative yeah for sure i feel like it kind of goes back to the like creating the thing you want to see in the world and that was kind of always the goal too like at the time when i started all this like there were certain sci-fi worlds and stories and universes that i just didn't see people making because it was very time consuming and you know to handcraft everything it just takes a lot more time than the typical like some guy you know it's like oh it's 
like I love Spider-Man, but it's like, okay, you can shoot that in New York City or like it's it's easier to like it's like real life with one special thing. And that's an amazing story to tell, but definitely more achievable than like everything. And like we have to design a new New York City <laughs> and everything has to be a sci-fi handcrafted thing. Like it's definitely a lot harder to do that <laughs> takes more time so i can see why it's not doesn't happen as often but i think a lot of the things i love from like japanese and french um like anime and and cinema and graphic novels and I, I just love all that stuff it's just like what i grew up on so i wanted to have something that was like a melting pot of all these things i love and um even though it just takes a long time well ben i mean i think that's that's such a lovely note to to end the podcast on, I really enjoy your energy and your passion and what you've created and how you carrying it through. And I'm going to watch sort of eagerly and cheer from the sidelines as I watch the Huxley saga sort of unfold and expand. And I hope one day I'm, you know, going to a movie with my son to to watch your creation come to life on the big screen. So thank you for your time and thank you very much for your energy. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it and, and honored to have like honored you asked me to come on here and i'm i'm you know it's always a pleasure to, to share i mean what got me is that you had nasa as a a, a client you know i'm like if he if he can work for nasa then he can work for anyone <laughs> yeah for sure right well ben thank you very much and we'll catch all of you in the next one bye-bye thanks guys for listening we believe sharing knowledge is an obligation so if you know someone who's building a brand or needs some inspiration for their brand please share this with them this is our fourth season and we'd be grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button so you're the first to know when a new episode is released even better leave a review and tell the world how much you enjoyed listening one more question is brought to you by the people of nice work We're on a mission to build purposeful Web3 brands that people care about. We're based in South Africa and serve the leaders of brave companies around the world. If you'd like to know more, work with us or make a suggestion, please reach out at www.nicework.co.za. Bye-bye.